My name is Adam. I am part of the team here, and it's great to have you with us. Today, we are kicking off a new sermon series that we've called, I Have a Question. Now, we all have questions, don't we? Some are fairly innocuous. What should I have for breakfast? What should I wear today? Others, though, are slightly more significant. Who is God? Why am I here? Where am I going? And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to dig into some of the questions that people have about the Christian faith and about what we believe. So today we're going to look at the question, aren't we better off without religion? Hasn't religion done more harm than good? Next week we're going to dig into the question, hasn't science buried God? Hasn't science made belief in God outdated, irrelevant? Then on Good Friday, we're going to look at the question, how could a good God allow so much suffering? Really important question on a really important day. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the question, well, isn't the resurrection of Jesus just a fairy tale? There's some of the questions that we're going to explore in the weeks ahead. Now, there's a few reasons that we're doing this series. Number one, we want you to know that it's okay to ask questions. Honest questions are not an enemy of faith. In fact, sincere doubts can actually be part of a growing faith as we dig into it and work out and wrestle with what we believe and why. I mean, if you doubt this to be true, just read the Psalms. Psalms are filled with raw questions being asked of God. We want you to know it's okay to ask and see questions. We also want to help equip you to answer questions. There are plenty of questions out there uh, for the Christian faith, and, and, and you might face some of those at home or in your workplace or at school or uni, and we want to help you be able to answer those questions. Not just to give you more bullets for your gun to, to shoot at people and to, to win arguments, but to help you have thoughtful responses to sincere and honest questions. We also want to be able to answer some questions you may have. Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure about Christianity, and you've been uh, coming along to church for a little while. We want to help you engage with some of the questions you may have about the Christian faith. We also want to encourage you to invite someone along to church this Easter season. I'm sure we all have people in our lives who who aren't Christians, who don't yet know Jesus, and maybe we can just say to them, hey, my church is doing a series at the moment looking at some big questions. Why don't you come along with me? We'll sit together, and then afterwards I'll buy you a coffee, and, and we can chat about it. This is why we're doing this series, and this is where we're going in the next few weeks. Now today, as I mentioned, we're beginning with that first question, aren't we better off without religion? Now, this is a pressing question in our day, but it's not exactly a new question. Back in 1930, the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, he described religion as a dragon. And he said, if we want to have a peaceful society, we must first slay the dragon. Then, 40 years later, in 1971, John Lennon brought this more into popular consciousness with his song, Imagine. He invited us to imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. 
No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. (laughs) Sorry, that was really bad. (laughs) Lenin is saying that religion is a barrier to peace, that it's a hindrance to our well-being. Then this was picked up in the early 2000s by the so-called new atheists, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, uh, these guys and those like them began to argue that religion is not just a harmless hang-up from our past, but it's actually harmful, dangerous, and needs to be eradicated. And so they started to write books with that goal. Uh, Sam Harris published The End of Faith in 2004. Uh, Richard Dawkins quite famously published The God Delusion in 2006. And then Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens, in 2008, he published a book that he hoped would finally burst the bubble of religion in our day. It was titled, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And his aim for this book, it addresses what he calls the most urgent issue of our time, the malignant force of religion in the world. And all of this is meant to suggest that if we want to live a life of freedom, we need to be free from religion. And this is a view that has become popular in our day and in our country. There was a global study done in 2015, and it found that 63% of Australians, which is well above the global average, 63% of Australians think that religion does more harm than good. This means that some of your neighbours, your colleagues, your friends, your family members, they think that we would be better off without religion. And the question that we want to dig into today is, is that true? Does religion, as Christopher Hitchens suggests, really poison everything? Are we truly better off without it? I guess the first question we need to answer is, which religion? Because there are hundreds, even thousands of religions in our world today. Now, Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens and the like, they would like to get rid of all of them. But today, I'd like to focus our attention on Christianity. There is no other religion that has changed and shaped our world quite like Christianity. There's no other religion that continues to shape our world like Christianity. And so we want to ask the question, would we be better off without Christianity? Would our world be a better place? What would we stand to gain if we got rid of it? But also, what would we lose What would be the fallout? What would our world look like if we were to remove Christianity and its influence? Now, I'd like to explore these questions under three simple headings. Number one, bad religion. Number two, true religion. And then number three, more than religion. Let's begin with number one, and and this is easily the most painful. Bad religion. You see, the first thing, that we need to say and admit when it comes to this topic is that it is true that Christian history is marked by instances of bad behavior, that its record is marred by violence and oppression and injustice. And to suggest otherwise is naivety or ignorance. 
John Dixon, um, who Ben mentioned a moment ago, will be leading our Ridley courses on Thursday nights. He is, as Ben said, an Aussie, he's an author, he's a speaker, and he's a um, really quite renowned historian. He's authored over 20 books, he lectures at Ridley College, and last year he released a book called Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. In his own words, it's a century-by-century retelling of the bullies and saints of Christian history. And so he goes through the whole Christian story and chronicles those who have done good and those who have done evil. And so he looks at events like the Crusades, when in the late 11th century, European Christians marched to Jerusalem to take back the holy city from Muslim forces. Now, the first crusade, there was a series of crusades, but the first one achieved its goal. Jerusalem fell. But what happened next was disastrous. The crusaders brutally slaughtered tens and thousands of Muslims, including women and children. And then afterwards, they held a thanksgiving service to God. And it's left the church with a black eye that we're still nursing to this day. Dixon also deals with the Spanish Inquisition, when in the early 12th century, the king of Spain gave power to church officials to investigate, arrest, torture, and even kill those who were suspected of heresy. And this went on for a period of almost 350 years, and it's estimated that thousands of people were killed. Inflicted another blight on the church's record. Not to mention during the Middle Ages, when Christians enthusiastically burned, drowned, and killed women they suspected of being witches. Or in the 1930s, when some German churches enthusiastically welcomed the rise of Hitler and then stood by quietly as he exterminated millions of Jews. Of course, in more recent history and much closer to home, there is the horrific record of child abuse in the church. You know, the Boston Globe's famous spotlight investigations, of which there's been a a really well-done movie made, um, which was carried out between 2001 and 2003, these investigators found that the Archdiocese of Boston, that they had quietly settled and covered up child molestation claims against at least 70 priests over a period of 10 years. And this report by the Globe triggered a raft of other investigations and, of course, it led to our own Royal Commission in 2013. And this continues to be a heartbreaking and a horrifying scandal. It continues to be a cause for deep lament and sincere repentance. Then, of course, even more immediately, there is the greed and the manipulation of TV evangelists. There's the failure of prominent Christian leaders, unfortunately, of which we've seen a number of examples in recent years. I mean, we need to admit there are skeletons in the Christian closet. And though we might like to leave them in the closet, we cannot stick our heads in the sand. We have to own up to our past. We have to admit, well, we've got it wrong. In fact, Jesus' words in in 1 John 1, verse 8 are applicable here. Jesus said it, uh, sorry, John writes, he says, if we claim to be without sin, sorry, these are John's words, not Jesus' words, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First thing we need to say is that we, the Christian church, are not without sin. We've missed the mark. We have fallen short in significant ways. Now, if you are 
dismayed by all of this, even disgusted by all of this, or, or, or disappointed at the behavior of Christians in the past and the evils of Christian history, let me just say that you are in good company. Jesus reserved his strongest words for religious hypocrites. In Matthew 23, he described them as whitewashed tombs. In other words, he's saying you might look really good and clean on the outside, or on the inside, you're a corpse. You might externally look like you have all the trappings of relationship with God, but internally you don't know the reality. You have no real relationship. And this is the essence of bad religion. It's hypocritical and harmful behavior. But this leads us to our second point, which is true religion. See, here's the the question that we need to answer. Are are these stories that we've just touched on, and let me just say, we've only touched on them. There's a whole lot of complexity to them. But are these stories where, where the church has gotten it so wrong, where Christians have behaved so badly, are they typical of true Christianity? Are they reflective of true Christian teaching? Are they in line with what Jesus said and did and taught? Well, when we think about the Crusades and the Inquisition and the the witch hunts, we can quickly recognize that these were carried out not in submission to Jesus' words, but in disobedience to his clear commands. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. This is what Jesus calls his followers to do. Because this is what Jesus himself did. Do you remember when Jesus was nailed to the cross by the Roman soldiers, what, what he did? Did he spit at them? Did he curse them? He prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them. So the Crusades, the Inquisition, the witch hunts, they were not faithful representations of Jesus' teaching. They were actually departures from it. And it's the same when it comes to the child abuse scandal. I mean, I hardly need to point out all of the ways that this evil contradicts the clear message of Christ. Horrifically distorts the teaching of the Bible. Shocking abuse of power and authority. And also falls under Jesus' terrifying warning in Luke chapter 17. When he says, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So when we compare some of the the bad religion of Christian history with the true religion that we find in Jesus' teaching, we see the problem is not that these people were being Christian. The problem is that they were not being Christian enough. I agree with what one writer, Akos Barlow, says. He says, Christians have botched things up spectacularly at times. But this isn't because Christianity, as taught by Jesus and the New Testament, is bad. It's because Christians have disobeyed or ignored that clear teaching. Or as John Dixon says, Jesus Christ wrote a beautiful composition. He wrote a beautiful tune, a beautiful melody for us to live out. But Christians have not performed it consistently well. Sometimes they were badly out of tune. But the problem with a hateful Christian is not their Christianity. 
but their departure from it. Now, all of this begs the question, what about those times in Christian history when Christians have played the tune? When Christians have sung the melody of Christ? When Christians have lived out the words of Christ? When Christians have practiced true religion? See, here's what James, in his epistle, says about true religion. Chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to help those in need, orphans, widows, immigrants, those in developing countries, those in war-torn countries, the homeless, the handicapped, and so on and so forth, to help those in need. That's what God wants from us. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to remain faithful to God's teaching, to what the, the Bible says, to live consistently with what God calls us to, to practice righteousness. This is what God wants from his people, compassion for those in need, faithfulness to his teaching. And when Christians have lived in that way, when they have embodied those values, it would not be an exaggeration to say it has changed the world. Here's what John Dixon says in his book. He says, despite everything, Christianity did make its presence felt in every century on record. Even when the church was at its most cruel, reformers popped up and called everyone to account. They pointed people back to the way of Christ. Enough ordinary believers heeded that call to redouble the Christian effort to preach in new lands, establish charities, build hospitals, and educate the masses. Our world has been demonstrably transformed by it. Dixon is saying that our world has been undeniably transformed by the Christian story. It has given us, as he alludes to, so many of the good things that we take for granted. For example, the idea that all people have dignity, value, and worth, that comes straight from the pages of Scripture. That every single person has intrinsic value and worth. This was not an ideal that was practiced in the ancient world. Education and healthcare for all, that is a Christian idea. I mean, did you know that many of the most prominent universities, they were started by Christians? Harvard. Yale, Princeton, Cambridge, Oxford, started by Christians. Did you know that modern hospitals in many ways were invented by Christians? Taking Jesus' words seriously to care for the poor, the sick, and the marginalized. Christianity is also in many ways responsible for the equality and the rights of women. The civil rights movement, the establishment of charity and welfare movements, Red Cross, Salvation Army, World Vision, they all have Christian roots. Even, in some ways, modern science, as we'll look at next week. These are all ideas with Christian foundations. And listen, it's not just Christians that are claiming this. You know, Tom Holland is a British historian. He's written a number of influential books, and he's not a Christian. But he says a few years ago, he realized that all of the ethics that he's taken for granted in his life the idea of love, the idea of equality of, of, of all people. He says he came to realize that these came from what he calls Jerusalem, the, the, the Jewish Christian culture that Jesus left in his wake. 
And he chronicled this uh, change in his thinking in his 2019 book called Dominion, the Making of the Western Mind. This is what he says. He says, today, even as belief in God fades across the West, the countries that were once collectively known as Christendom continue to bear the stamp of the two millennia old revolution that Christianity represents. It is the principal reason why, by and large, most of us who live in post-Christian societies still take for granted that it is nobler to suffer than to inflict suffering. It is why we generally assume that every human life is of equal value. In my morals and ethics, I have learned to accept that I am not Greek or Roman at all, but thoroughly and proudly Christian. He's not a Christian but he is acknowledging the fact that Jesus Christ has changed our world. He's transformed our society, and many people don't even realize it. So what would we lose if we lost Christianity? Well, the answer is that we would lose our foundations. We would be pulling the ceiling down on our own heads. Because the Christian story has undeniably shaped our society. In fact, it's hard to imagine a world, a society, apart from the towering influence of Jesus Christ. This is the great good of true religion. And I haven't even touched on the personal and psychological benefits. I mean, there was an article uh, written in 2016 in USA Today by a a Harvard professor and a journalist. It was titled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. Here's how it begins, the very first sentence. It says, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans, it was written in America, at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? And the authors then go on to outline that the physical and mental health benefits of religious, of regular participation in a community of faith. Not kind of occasional participation or, or you, you know, you're on the fringes, but being involved, actively involved in a community of faith. And they talk about better mental health outcomes, higher personal satisfaction, greater purpose in life, rich relationships, just some of the benefits of participation in a community of faith. And these findings actually prompt, prompted an atheist, a philosopher and physicist by the name of Robin Hansen to say, Religious people are just better off on pretty much all of our standard metrics. Now, none of this proves that the God exists or that the Christian story is true, but it does go some way to bankrupting the myth that religion is a hindrance to our well-being, that we would be better off without it. Now, you might say to me at this point, okay, Adam, are you saying, are you suggesting that the answer to everything then is for more people to become religious? Are you saying more people just need to participate in religious activities? Well, the answer is yes and no. And it brings us to our third and final point, which is more than religion. See, occasionally when I'm in a conversation with someone, a friend who isn't a Christian, they might call me religious. Oh, well, you're religious, so you do that. And, and I understand why they say it, and I understand what they mean. But I've got to admit, any time they say that, it always sits a little bit uncomfortably with me. Now, I certainly am a religious person. I mean, I attend worship services, I read uh, uh, the scriptures, I pray, and so on and so forth. I'm a religious person by, by any definition. And this is not inherently a bad thing. I mean, even Jesus was a religious person. 
He attended synagogue faithfully. He participated in feasts and festivals. He kept the law of God better than anybody. The problem is not with religion per se. But the fact is, Jesus came to give us more than just religion. Jesus came to make us more than merely religious. Jesus came to bring us to God. Jesus came to make us new. Jesus came to give us new hearts, to set us free, to give us life, to bring us into relationship with God. And this will lead us into a life that will look religious. Participation in the church community, submission to the scriptures, a life devoted to prayer and so on and so forth. But at its heart, it's about much more than religion. At its heart, it's about love. Love from God, love for God, and love for others. Here's the way Jesus put it in Matthew 20, 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, this is not just about coming on a Sunday for a religious gathering. This is an all-of-life deal. Love God with all that you are, with everything that you have. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. At its heart, the Christian life is a life of love. Love for God and love for others. Now, why is this the case? It's because at the heart of the Christian faith is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The ultimate display of God's love. Here's what 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, uh, 10 to 11 says. It says, this is love. You want to know what love is? It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what's the result of that when we know that love from God? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the heart of the Christian life. Love from God through Jesus Christ. Love for God with all that we have and all that we are. And love for others as God has loved us. Friends, this is the beautiful tune of Christianity. And of course, Christians haven't always got this right. We play bum notes and we play out of tune and we get it wrong. But when we do play this tune, the results have been stunning. Been countless lives changed and it's been our world shaped and transformed. And it makes me think of a man called John Newton. I'm sure you're probably familiar with him. You might know John Newton as the author of the hymn Amazing Grace. You might know that he played an important role in the abolition of slavery in England. But what you might not know is that John Newton himself participated in the slave trade that he bought and sold human beings, that he himself was a slave trader. But when he encountered the love of God in Jesus Christ, it didn't just make him religious. It didn't just turn him into a church man, even though he was very devoted to the church. It transformed his life from the inside out. 
And it led him to write down, to pen those famous words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It was blind, but now I see. And this is what Jesus does. He makes blind people see. He makes enslaved people free. He makes dead people come alive to God. And so are we better off without religion? Well, it depends. Are we talking about Jesus? Because we're certainly not better off without Jesus. In fact, we would be utterly, totally lost without him. But with him, we have everything we need now and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace to us. We don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, and yet you've freely given it to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we repent in our own lives, where we've got it wrong. Where we have not been a true witness to who you are and to what you've done. Lord, forgive us, fill us, and help us to live out your calling on our lives. To be people who care for those in need. Who are faithfully hold to your word and to your teaching and who love you with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and to love others in the same way. And so Lord, help us to become a people and a church filled by your spirit, marked by your love with the good news of Jesus on our lips. Without him we're lost, but with him we have everything we need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.